0: into the book of Romans, an amazing part of God's Word. It's always, you're not supposed to have favourites, right? It's like children, you sort of, all of God's Word is great. Romans is great. I wonder if you've ever had a meal that was so incredibly good that years later you could remember it. Maybe you can, you can bring one to mind now. You're still flavouring, uh, savouring the flavours I can think of a a couple of meals that I've been fortunate enough to enjoy that that come to mind fairly quickly. One in particular was a a meal with my wife Peter uh, celebrating a significant anniversary. We went to this great restaurant that wasn't kind of over-the-top posh but it was renowned for having incredibly good food which was just this kind of creative clever journey that you were taken on from the moment that you you came in and an entree was laid out to when you put your napkin down satisfied after dessert it was the kind of meal that even as we opened the menu and started looking through we knew that we had to take our time with it we're going to have to savor the various flavors to let them linger to allow the contrast in texture and and temperature to kind of play its part in many ways, we, we could see from the menu that we just had to take the time to allow the, the creative genius of the chef <laughs> to, to delight us with all these wonderful things that they'd prepared for us to enjoy. Some food is so good, you, you just know that you're going to need to savour it slowly and some meals are so good that you remember them for years to come. Well friends, I think learning from the book of Romans is a little bit like sitting down to a meal that you know from reputation is going to be rich and complex and utterly delicious. Uh, This book that we're jumping into, it has been the book of the Bible that has been most influential in some of the most influential Christian leaders in all of history. So, for example, it's through the book of Romans that God took a rat bag womanizer called Augustine, who was just getting up to mischief as a young man, living in this little nowhere town in North Africa. It was through the book of Romans that Augustine was brought to faith in Jesus, turning his life upside down and in the process, God gifted the church with one of the brilliant minds of all of history, with incredible insights that, that we still benefit from over 1600 years later. I was also the book of Romans that broke through the legalism and the fear and the pride of the German monk, Martin Luther, and showed him the goodness of God's grace in Christ and kicked off the reformation of the church throughout Europe 500 years ago. Romans has the reputation for being life-changing and it's because, I think, because The book of Romans is probably the most comprehensive articulation of the Gospel that God has chosen to give us in His Word. So we are going to take it slowly. Matt mentioned we're spending six weeks in it now but then we're going to come at it in a number of chunks over the next two years. This is a six-course degustation for us and we're only going to get through the first three courses this year and each course we're going to take in little bite-sized morsels so that we can chew over it slowly and it will be really rich and rewarding. But I think, unlike even the most memorable meals, the Book of Romans contains things that, they're not just magnificent to take in, but we can expect that our lives will be changed. And some of those life-changing realities, they'll actually be quite confronting. To play with the metaphor, there will be bitterness at points. There'll be bitterness at points as God confronts us with ourselves might find we have a bit of a sour taste in our mouth as we come to terms with the reality of our world and at times I think we'll find that the mix of flavors they're just they're just a little bit jarring and we have to sit with them for a little while to come to terms with it all but there is a sweetness in the challenge it is worth it because as we will see this is the truth that Jesus says will set us free it's the truth about ourselves it's the truth about our world and ultimately about our God as Father Son and Spirit and it is truth that is totally life-changing. So today, as, as Jenny said for us and read for us, we kick off by looking at the first and last paragraphs of this whole book and you might think, well, it's kind of logical to look at the first paragraph, we're just starting, that makes sense. But we also read those final verses from the end of chapter 16 because they, they help us to see how this whole big, complex book of Romans with so many big ideas is, is kind of framed, bookended, by this overarching summary and that gives us our bearings on what lies ahead. So, on the next slide for us, um, these first and last paragraphs sum up for us three big questions that the rest of the book is going to unpack for us. What is the Gospel? What does it do? And what is it for? So, first up, what is the Gospel? Well, as we begin in the book of Romans we're reminded that this is a letter. We're not not actually pulling a textbook off the shelf, as deep and rich as it is, we're we're actually just reading someone else's mail. In verse 1, we read that it was from Paul. Verse 7, it's written to the Christians in Rome. Next week, we'll hear a little bit more about those Christians in Rome, but for now, it is good for us to get a bit of an idea of who this letter is from. Thanks, Mandy, on the next slide. It's from Paul, Right? And I've thrown some passages up here on the screen, if you're taking notes you can jot them down or if you like that's also on the sermon outline online uh, for your reference because actually the New Testament paints a pretty detailed picture for us of the Apostle Paul and in particular how profoundly his life was transformed by the good news of Jesus. Before he was converted to Christianity, Paul was a devout Jew... And in particular, a member of the group of of religious conservatives called the Pharisees. They were zealous religious nationalists. They, They wanted purity in the people of God as an expression of the kingdom of God. And Paul wasn't just passionate about this. He was an A grade, top shelf, fully paid up member of the Pharisees. He was trained by one of the most conservative Jewish rabbis named Gamaliel, who was so widely respected that we actually read about him in sources outside the Bible too. Paul was so zealous that he persecuted Christians who he perceived to be dangerous, false teachers. We can read in Acts chapter 7, for example, that Paul was present at the first Christian martyrdom, the stoning of Stephen, and he gave approval. And then he went out touring the country to hunt down Christians, rounding them up, arresting them with the very real threat of their torture and their death. Then we read that on one such road to Damascus, the capital of Syria, Paul had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus and his life was turned around. It's where the phrase, a Damascus Road experience comes from, though I suspect that most Aussies that kind of talk about it have no idea of its Bible connections, but that idea of your life being turned around, because that's what happened for Paul when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. His life was so transformed that this defender of Israel against the scourge of Christianity, he was then commissioned by Jesus to take the Gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles, far beyond national Israel, to, to everyone else. And so that's who's writing this. It's Paul, a man totally transformed by the Gospel. And in what we just read, he describes himself called, which means in his terms, called by Jesus to be an apostle, which is a word that just means sent one, because he's called to be sent out for the Gospel. But did you notice he didn't pause on that? He didn't expand on his bio any longer at this point. Rather, he unpacks not who he is but what the Gospel is and he gives us the broadest definitions. I've got a bit of a scary looking slide for us here but this is actually helping us to see how what we've read from chapter 1 and chapter 16 kind of sit side by side and and to see some of those themes because Paul says that he set apart for the Gospel of God in chapter 1, He says... This is the gospel that comes from God. Paul didn't make it up. But you might have noticed that by the time we get to chapter 16, he is happy to call it, my gospel. Because this is the gospel from God that he sent out through his apostles, the ones sent by Jesus. What is the gospel? The the gospel came from God, it belongs to God, and Jesus appointed specific people to articulate it, so that it could be taken to all the world. And then in verse 2... Well, Paul clarifies that this Gospel didn't just pop up out of nowhere. Chapter 1, verse 2, it was promised beforehand through God's prophets in the Holy Scriptures, which is to say, this is the Gospel that was promised in what we know as the Old Testament. And as we read in chapter 16, another way of phrasing that is that it's the mystery once hidden. Because until Jesus came, all the pieces were there in the Old Testament, but they were hard to put together. They were hidden but now revealed, and we see the puzzle in its beautiful glory. The gospel is from God through his apostles, as promised in the Old Testament. And what is the gospel? Well, Paul sums it up most simply in the first three words of verse three it's regarding his son, or as he sums up at the other end of the book, the message I proclaim about Jesus. What is the gospel? It's the message about God's Son, Jesus. And Paul gives the briefest expansion on that. In in a human sense, Jesus is the son of David, the one descended from the line of King David, we read in verse 3. This tells us a lot more than just how Jesus traced his lineage through his adopted father, Joseph. This is a reference to God's promises in the Old Testament and in particular, the pinnacle of those promises that one day a descendant of King David, would be God's forever king for all people. So in an ordinary human way, Jesus is in the family line of David, but in a profoundly supernatural way, through his resurrection from the dead, he's shown to be the mighty son of God with power. The gospel is from God, about God's mighty son Jesus, the long-awaited saviour king. And the rest of Romans is really expanding on that, unpacking that for us, helping us to understand that. But this is the broadest overview of what the Gospel is. It is from God, about God's mighty Son, Jesus, the long-awaited Saviour King. And it's nothing new. It's been promised through the Old Testament and made known by His apostles. And yet, if we were looking for an even, even sort of tighter summary than that, what is the Gospel? It's the statement that Jesus is Lord of all. As we distill down Paul's summary, this is the Gospel at its simplest, the announcement that consistent with the promises of God, this man Jesus is Lord of all. And right from these opening verses, that has its implications for us, this is not just kind of abstract and intellectual, this hits the ground for us. Because for one thing, it tells us that the Gospel is not something that we need to make current, we don't need to bring it up to date. Do you kind of get your mind around what Paul's saying here? The Gospel, even when he was sharing it as a first-generation Christian, the Gospel was always ancient history. It's, it stemmed from the promises of God made over hundreds of years in various different cultures before Jesus was born. The Gospel has always been ancient in the best possible way of being time-tested and proven. So we need not think that we need to make it current because its value is timeless. But we also see here that if this is what the Gospel is, then we dare not think that we can water it down either. The Gospel isn't ours to tinker with, it belongs to God, it's from Him And I think this is really important for us to see because even in the next couple of weeks, as we make our way through Romans, we will see just how tempting it is to want to water down the Gospel when some of that bittersweet comes to our palate because this news will be profoundly unsettling. Not just for some people, those people out there, but for all of us. So that's our first question. What is the Gospel? That's the first question that we'll be unpacking over the next few weeks. In its simplest form, it's the news that Jesus is Lord of all. And then the second question builds on it. What does the Gospel do? Well, in verse 5, through this Jesus, God's Son, our Lord, Paul has been given a mission to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. What does the Gospel do? Paul says, that's what it's meant to do. That's his simple summary statement. What does the Gospel do? It calls all people to the obedience that comes from faith. And it's so important that you see there, highlighted in red for us so we can't miss it, chapter 1, chapter 16, that's his summary statement. This is what the Gospel does, so that all the Gentiles, every person, might come to the obedience that comes from faith. And friends, we've got to appreciate just how huge this is. Remember who Paul is? He's a Pharisee. He wants nationalistic purity in the people of God. To call all people to open the floodgates and say, this is your God. Trust in Him, obey Him. Paul is one of the, the us and them guys, the in and out guys, the, the them, the, 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 the us is the Jews and the them is everyone else but... Now he's been commissioned to send this message to everyone. And it has a really clear purpose. To call all people to the obedience that comes from faith. And right at the start and the end of Romans, we get what's right at the heart of Romans. That if we want to understand what Romans is all about, three big phrases, not words. I should have thought that better. All people, that's not a word. Maybe you can put a hyphen in there. Everyone. That's a word obedience, because if Jesus is Lord, well, He is to be obeyed, and faith. Because the statement that Jesus is Lord, that is a statement that must be believed, accepted, trusted, lent on. And this phrase is such an important summary of what the Gospel does, of its, of its whole purpose that Paul opens and closes this massive book of Romans with us because at at one level, the the gospel is something that needs to be obeyed. It's an announcement that calls for a response. But that first response is simply faith, to accept it, to trust it. And it actually never stops being faith. So we are called to trust the gospel. But that's also another way of saying we're called to obey the gospel. Because the Gospel is the news that Jesus is Lord. He is ruler. He is master. He is over you and me and everything. The Gospel is the statement that He is the one that we need to submit to. And then out of that faith flows a life that is totally transformed by the Gospel, a life of obedience to Jesus as the Lord of all. So the Gospel calls all people to the obedience of faith. And, and Romans will help us to see what faith is. Goofy image, but hopefully it helps us to see that faith is not, I believe this statement of fact. I've read something in a book and yes, I, I guess it sounds true. Because the, believing the Gospel is a whole of life response. It's actually a willing submission. Faith, as we'll see in Romans is saying, on the next slide, because Mandy my phone's given us a glitch here at this point, there we go, I bring my life under this statement of reality. Not just looking at a statement of fact, assessing whether you believe it or not, but faith and the obedience that flows is the willing submission to bring your life under that reality. And then, of course, as we've just read, Paul shows us what this does for us in the way that he speaks to these Christians in Rome. If you've got the passage there in front of you, verse 6, they are called, called to belong to Jesus because it's all about a life of allegiance with Jesus at the centre of it all. Who are they? They are loved by God because this is not cold and transactional. This is not some contract of employment that you sign up to. It is the beautiful love of God and they're called to be holy. There is nothing trivial in that word. We begin our our time together, singing of God in His holiness, and yet we are called to be holy, having a status bestowed upon us by God, who alone is holy. And verse 7 again, what does Paul say is for the Christians in Rome and for all Christians, grace and peace. There's nothing superficial in that couple of churchy words that are easy to sort of spin off but this goes to the very heart of who we are in our hopes and our anxieties, not, not constant toil and conflict for you but grace and peace. Now if you feel like we're drinking from a fire hydrant, and I've just kind of opened up the first five verses, seven verses of Romans going. that's okay, we haven't really sat down yet, we're still kind of reading the menu, right? Trying to get our heads around what all of this is going to taste like in the coming weeks so that we can chew over it slowly but I think already we can guess at some of what it's going to mean because if this is what the gospel does then we have to expect to be changed the news that Jesus is Lord does something For those who trust in it, it bestows on us a status that we could never attain on our own, called holy, beloved by God and it flows out in a life of obedience to the one who loves us as his own and and gives us grace and peace. So the gospel, what is it? Well, it's the news about Jesus but it's news that will always change us. It's just what it does. So I hope you're prepared to change. But there is one more question That Paul highlights for us and he concludes the whole book with it. What is the gospel for? And I think we might be surprised by this but perhaps this is the truth that we really have to get our heads around because you might be surprised to know that the gospel is not actually for you or me. It's tremendously good news for us but it's not for you or for me. At the end of it all, the Gospel is for God's glory. Now we might have skimmed over that in that first paragraph, uh, verse 5. Through him, Paul says, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. The Gospel is for the sake of Jesus' name being made famous and honoured and loved. To put it another way, that the goal of the Gospel is that Jesus would be glorified. That's a Bible way of saying that He would be known in all His glory and He would be honoured for all His glory. And because God the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they're perfectly united, three in one, for the Son to be glorified is for God to be glorified, which is where Paul finishes the whole letter. Those three verses that we read at the end, which summed up what this whole book is about, concludes that... To Him, to God, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. What is the Gospel for? Actually, it's ultimately for God's glory. I hope that's a teaser that you're intrigued by, because we're going to be unpacking that in the the weeks and the months to come. But from the start, it's so helpful to set our bearings with, to tell us right up front that you and I we are not the centre of the Gospel. We might be the centre of our Facebook profiles, but we're not at the centre of the Gospel. The Gospel is not ultimately about your peace or your fulfilment, though that is part of the rich reward for those who believe it. The Gospel brings those things but it has an even higher goal than you and me. What is the Gospel for? It is the, for the glory of God who is kind to include us in His glory. And as we work through Romans, we should expect to be blown away by how wonderful the Gospel is for us. But in that, to ultimately and always be pointed forward to see the, the God from whom it comes, the God through whom we have this great gospel and peace and hope and joy, the God who has a glory beyond anything we can comprehend. So friends, as we come to Romans, what is the gospel? Well, it is actually incredibly good news for people who are weighed down with the constant fear that they don't amount to much, people like me at times, because the gospel says you don't need to, Jesus is Lord and look at what he's done, he's loved you and he's called you and he's given you grace and peace. And what is the gospel? It is actually incredibly good news for those of us who are constantly slaving to make a name for ourselves because it teaches us that God in all of his glory has reached out to us and he's given us a status we could never attain for ourselves. Beloved by him, his holy people. What is the Gospel? It is actually incredibly good news for those of us who are just simply anxious with the uncertainties of life and, and being constantly reminded that we're not actually in control <laughs> because it's God's Gospel about His mighty Son who is Lord of all who does bring us into perfect peace with Himself and that's all that really matters. So yes, we will see the Gospel really is good news for us. If you don't know it yet, come along and hear it. But it's actually so much bigger than us. Because it's not actually about us, it's about God. Who is glorious beyond our comprehension. But he is so kind to kind of blow our minds by showing us who he is. What is the gospel? It's the news that Jesus is Lord of all. So let's not tinker with it. What does it do? It calls us to faith that transforms life. So let's expect to be changed. And what is it for? God's glory, which is going to blow our minds. So let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news that Jesus is Lord of all. That this is a message that brings hope and peace for Jew and Gentile, for for us and them, for those near and those far, for anxious ones, for little ones, for proud ones, for those of us who feel so self-sufficient and those of us who feel so inadequate. Father, thank you that you give us the good news that Jesus is Lord of all and as you invite us to bring our lives into humble submission under that reality, you transform us. And so we pray by your word in the power of your spirit, you'll be doing that this week and in the weeks to come. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.